hello and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. This is a podcast designed to help and equip parents as well as children's ministry workers as we serve the children in our congregation. Today we're talking about an important topic and answering the question, is the worship service child appropriate? And as always today, we are hosted by myself, Pastor Tony Tersoni, the family pastor of Westminster Baptist Church in Westminster, Maryland, as well as... Ben Palaz, a family and children's discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. Wonderful. So glad to be talking again with you today, Ben. So on this beautiful sunny day up here in Maryland, and sounds a little less sunny down there. Yeah, but hey, you don't start catching on fire when you go outside today, so... That's true. He's in Georgia, you know, and I've experienced some summers in Georgia, and it might be 300 degrees at some points this summer, right? Yeah, at least on the asphalt. I think it's interesting, the Braves games, too, during the summer. I'm sure that there are some summer games where it gets so hot that that ball melts mid-pitch. <laughs> yeah, maybe that would, they could, they need some kind of help to uh, get some, some Ws, but how, how are the Orioles doing? Orioles are doing pretty hot. I haven't been able to follow them as closely as I'd like. Uh, we'll see if the Braves can. Little signs of promise here and there. You know, they they started off poorly last year, and they've kind of started off poorly again this year. So, yeah, I think for the Brave, those signs of promise would be winning four or five games this year. <laughs> That's a low shot. <laughs> <laughs> now that you know, they finished the the second half very well last year. It was just the horrendous first half is what got them in trouble. You know, that's the great thing about baseball. Even the worst team wins 40 or 50 games a year. So it's definitely uplifting in the discouraging times and able to see even a really, really terrible team win a lot of games. Anyway, so uh, again, we have an important topic to talk about today. And we're answering the question, is the worship service child appropriate? Where is the place of our children in regards to our Sunday morning worship services? As we're going to be talking about this in a biblical, historical, theological, obviously, lens, as well as answering some practical questions. So I want to start asking you, Ben, is the term children's church theologically accurate? And is it even helpful? Well, I'd say no, it's not so accurate, and, and because of that, it makes it not so helpful. I understand what's meant, and I mean, I, I don't criticize people that use it. And, and we do have something like that, that, that term describes at our church. Uh, we call it something different. You know, the church is made up of all who call on Jesus' name in a, the universal uh, sense, but in a, a local sense, a church is those who have they're professing faith in Christ. We think they've been born again. They've been baptized. But there's also the, the preaching of the gospel and um, baptism and the Lord's Supper and discipline, these kind of things. And so, I mean, I don't think we have, you know, any seven-year-old pastors and elders um, that we're sending off to some other room. So it's no. not really an accurate description of, of what's going on there. Some movements you might see a seven-year-old pastor. I remember watching a documentary years ago about a uh, seven- or eight-year-old <laughs> preaching. That's, I, did, I think I saw the same one that you're talking about. And, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but I hope that was, didn't, would not happen. Yeah, I think terminology is immensely important. You know, I, A lot of churches, uh, churches that uh, ministry leaders might listen to our podcast even, have something akin to what's called a children's church, and maybe they even call it a children's church. But like you said, I think that there is one thing that is the church, in terms Terminology is incredibly important and what we call, call something. Terminology, names, teach things. So, you know, and I think really when we use the term children's church, it dangerously misdefines what the church is in at least two significant ways. The first one is that the local church 
is God's church. It's not man's church. Mm. You know, I've heard in the children's church movement that to mention the adult church and then the children's church. I, I think both of those are wrong, that church is not for children. It's for God. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it belongs to him. It's, so it's well put. Yeah, and then kind of similar to what you said earlier, the church is not merely the gathering of similar people where the Bible is kind of sort of studied. Uh, the, you know, it's, it means something much more than that. It is one thing. I, I really find interesting when we talk about these terminology. John Piper, I've heard say multiple occasions, he compares the term children's church to children's thunder. You know, the uh, thunder, <laughs> the word thunder is so powerful and conveys so much uh, so much power and impotence that it would be silly to think of children's thunder. You don't have to define thunder. In the same way, you don't need to add a definition, a modifier to church. We don't have children's thunder. We don't modify things that are great and important. We don't, we don't have children's embassies, which I think is a great comparison to the local church. Right, and, and we don't have a gospel for children and a gospel for adults, So, or at least we no, shouldn't. We do not. I would hope not. I think, unfortunately, there are church movements that try to do that. Yeah. Where did the idea of a fun alternative to the worship service come from, Ben? You know, you're more of a history buff than me. I think um, I'm going to have to defer to you on that. You know, I mean, I think some of the potential distractions that children can uh, can cause uh, it had to do with it. But the, the best thing I could find on that was uh, a Lutheran satire video. But uh, maybe you could you could enlighten us on that one. <laughs> Pretty great video. You know, one would think that you would know a great deal about history and have experienced a lot more of it than you have in light of the lack of hair that you have. So the <laughs> lack right. of hair. It's too bad that gray hair is a is a crown, you know, instead of a bald head. But uh, no, yeah. yeah. Although you know, uh, a guy in the Bible that was bald did call upon bears. I, I tend to be a bit of a history buff, uh, and so I've done a pretty decent deal of uh, research onto this. And really, the worship service, until re well, relatively recently, was intentionally a family experience. And for the vast, vast, vast majority of church history, the worship service was made into a family experience. Uh, and that did mean that it always included infants into the, in the worship service, but children that, it, that could talk, children that could read, uh, children that could engage in conversations were included in the worship service for the the great majority of church history. You know, and things began to change and things that kind of built towards what we would call children's church, I think, began in, uh, and the, during the Industrial Revolution in England and the 19th century, especially the early 19th century. And that was when churches in England started offering Sunday school, the Sunday school program. Prior to that, there really there was no age-segregated ministry like this. You know, it was for all church events, it was generally that parents and children were together. But the Sunday school movement seeking to uh, be an aid to evangelism f toward child laborers in the working force, alternative to the worship service, but offered in addition to the worship service, we would have some stuff special for children. And I think in that it kind of set a tone to go a lot further. Now, I'm very much in favor of Sunday school, but it would go further, especially in the 20th century. Uh, prior to the late 1960s, though, the vast majority of churches lacked any kind of worship alternative for children. That were children, especially children, again, that could talk and communicate, were pretty much universally in the worship service with, uh, with their families. And now, it's hard to trace exactly where 
an alternative for children that could speak and read up to even sometimes high school. It's hard to track exactly where that started, but some trace that to a church beginning to have a practice of a children's church in the late 1950s, but certainly didn't catch on for many years. And then, and then I think it really kind of blossomed in the 80s and the 90s, seeker churches and the, the seeker-sensitive movement, the seeker churches of the 80s and 90s kind of began with a heavy focus on making church attractive and making church comfortable for all. And thus, almost always and almost immediately, these movements invested in having a children's alternative to the worship service. Prior to the seeker <laughs> movement, it would have been an extreme rarity to find a church that practiced any kind of children's church. And in fact, the seeker movement widely educated and widely publicized material that would encourage children to not be in the worship service. So in a lot of ways, you know, it's one of the many products that are still in the church today from the seeker movements of the 80s and 90s. Now, I want to ask, we talked a little bit about history there, but does the Bible say anything about children in the worship service? Uh, I mean, by way of, you know, we're going to have a children's sermon in the after you do the public reading of Scripture, there's nothing like that. But um, the Bible does talk about fathers explaining things to the sons or to the children when they ask, like, you know, what does this mean? Like, like in the, yeah, the, the Passover. Absolutely. And so they're observing what's happening. And, I mean, that was, you know, that act of worship was a lot more sanitary or, or a lot less uh, sanitary and everything than, you know, what we're doing on Sunday mornings. And so they were not taking the kids off and you know not letting them watch a sacrifice they, they didn't it, have children's and, sacrifices uh, would explain that would have been horrifying <laughs> yeah they just did yeah. a you know a mouse exactly. or something yeah. instead of a bull you know in the deuteronomy 6 moses is putting out the law this is how you're going to live as god's people in god's place and you know deuteronomy 6 4 a lot of people are familiar with the, the beginning of the chapter you shall love the lord god with all your heart and, and pass these things and press them on your children but then, you know, there's again this uh, call to fathers to teach. And then I mean, Ephesians 6 directly addresses children. It doesn't say fathers, mothers, teach your children that they must yes. obey you. But it says children, obey your parents. So it's, it's a letter read to, to churches. And so, you know, Paul's assuming their presence there. No, I get it. I mean, the, the six-month-olds in there, they're not going yes. to receive that. Um, so we don't know exactly what their practice was with that. But... So yeah, I mean, I think there is evidence that children were a part of the larger gathering. Yeah, absolutely. Gathering. You know, I, I like your reference to Ephesians 6. I think that's a really important passage on that. And Colossians 3 is the, the one of two. There's two passages in the New Testament where children are directly addressed by pastoral epistles by letters that were read in the church and which meant that the apostles knew that children would be in the worship service and wrote with the intention of them being there and that's in addition to Ephesians 6 Colossians 3:20 uh, there's a direct command given to children assuming that children were obviously in the gathered congregation and the old testament I actually feel in many ways can be even more explicit in addition to what you mentioned on the passover there's not only many places where when P God's people were gathered 
it mentions children being with them. Uh, sometimes even they were explicitly required to be in the congregation, the gathering of God's people, to listen to some kind of message, kind of akin to a sermon, a different kind mm-hmm. of that pre- presenting of the law or some, or different presentations like that, maybe prophet, prophets declaring the word of God. Ezra 10.1, I think, is really explicit. Uh, you know, in Deuteronomy 31, mm-hmm. it mentions, and as Moses calling specifically for the children to be brought in, and even that Hebrew term, there can include very young children to be brought in for this reading, a reading of the law. In Joel chapter 2, there's a very similar uh, terminology in that. Joel 2 sometimes can go even further and be more clear than many of the other passages on that type of issue. For example, uh, you know, to read specifically from Joel 2, it says, Below the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a feast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children. So assemble the elders and he's commanding gather the children even nursing infants let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber so you know I think that Bible's certainly not silent upon that issue you know and I think there's some room for interpretation though how can children and even adults be benefited by children in the worship service Ben you know, I, mean, I think there's a lot there. Children can learn that God is good and he's holy, serious, that he's worthy of our time and our attention. I, I think it could help pastors preaching, at least at points. And I mean, some pastors are. They do a good job at that, at being plain. Some maybe, you know, could spruce it up a bit. But I've heard a, a Martin Luther quote that he said he aimed for the children and the handmaidens and if other if people had a problem with that, then they could just leave. He wasn't trying to be eloquent and give this nice speech. And so I think that's that's helpful. Children can also see that they're welcome. Um, that you know we're not just casting them off. That that we want them to be a part of the body of Christ. And you know I think for the body at large, we can see okay these children. I mean, at least the believers among them, they're part of God's family with us. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a responsibility to each other. And also, you know, Jesus said, unless you become like a child in humility and trusting him, you can't enter the kingdom of God, can't inherit it. So I think that's also important. And then for adults who may not have children yet, seeing other parents take care of their children and shepherd them through that. Now, I think you and I probably, we do have some differences um, yeah. on how this plays out. You know, I, I think as parents, see, adults see that and they go, oh, look at that, that father, that mother teaching their child, loving their child, being patient with the child. That can be instructive just, you know, and the, and the parents aren't even intending to do that. They're just doing, going about their, their role and they're just by kind of implicitly encouraging those around them. Yeah, and for me, I see a lot of, there's so much truth in that. And in addition, I think children, especially in elementary age, tend to value what their parents value. And, and you know, and churches will debate exactly mm-hmm. the specifics of when children should be in worship service. But, you know, I think a major factor on whatever we decide is that, again, that during the elementary age, children are so formed and influenced by what their parents value. Uh, parents can make the church service a, pa- a passion for a lifetime by showing it's important at a very young age. You know, it's really getting them in before. I like to say, when we delay 
substantially putting children to the worship service. What we effectively do is we put kids into the service at their at the most jaded age, junior high and high school. The kids question everything in our arrogance and pride in our sin, you know, and how our sin manifests itself. The but nonetheless, you know, that rarely does someone introduced to something by their parents in high school come to value that specific specific thing, you know. And I think if parents cast a vision that uh, for it, uh, kids can be excited. Then they get to be one of the big kids by being in the worship service, you know. And I think in that, it's so important what terminology we we use. And kids seeing mom and dad worship can't be overstated, and it's important. They truly see their mom and dad becoming their pastor. And and seeing and the impact then of them seeing them enjoying worship, them truly exalting the Lord, them them trying to fight their times of boredom and concentrate on the Word of God, that has such an unbelievable impact, even more, I think, sometimes than a children's lesson can have. Then for the adults, the adults can be stretched, stretched by this, especially their parents can stretch. You know, I think sometimes I've seen, even in my own life, when we engage with a child in a worship service, it forces you to be able to understand the message better, because you've got to articulate it to the little one next to you. And, it, and I think it see, helps us all to see the beauty of intergenerational, uh, our intergenerational faith. I, Alistair Begg, one time in a sermon and I remember, I don't remember what the sermon was on. A baby had cried out, I think, during the message. And he called, he basically exclaimed that, you know, that's a beauty. That's a beauty to see that intergenerational fellowship. And that's not an annoyance. That's, that's a wonderful gift from God. What kind of long-term mm. impact, though, do you think does welcoming children in the worship service have? I think long-term, and keeping that in mind, that it helps kids mature, and it helps them to uh, see that the church and the sermon and God's word and Jesus is for them. It's not just for something you know when you grow up and when you have to be more serious or those kinds of things. Uh, that they don't have to be entertained, and we just live in a entertainment saturated culture and. Children have electronic devices, or they use their parents' phones and these kind of things, and tons and tons of money gets spent on entertaining children and getting them hooked to that. So, um, and so just helping them see that it's not about entertainment. And I think it helps the parents to see that too. Now, that doesn't happen in a week or two. I mean, I think you're looking at Absolutely. a two-decade period before that, you know, how yeah. that takes root, but oh, that's that's wonderful, you know. And I think I, I've read some statistics on this and some studies about the impact of children being in the worship service at a young age, relatively speaking. Again, and we'll talk more about specifics on that in a minute. Christian Smith is a prominent sociologist at University of Notre Dame, uh, and he sat in. I think he's working on a book, a follow-up book to some of his previous books that contains a statistical argument for this that the, that there's a correlating impact between a younger age a child is put into the worship service, the more likelihood they have of continuing into their parents' faith as adults. You know, and it's just so ironic, you know, because, wow. the, again, I think the seeker church seek to create an alternative, a fun experience for everyone with the desire to make mm -hmm. sure that, you know, make sure it's always relevant to us and we see that it's we see that it's great. And, and I think there was a mentality of hoping to see this improving faith retention rates. But in effect, what it did was the exact 
exact opposite of that. And I think that there's biblical and theological reasons why that's the case. You know, the reality is you're going to come to a point where uh, where it's not all about my your entertainment, and you're going to come to a point where we're going to have to embrace the boredom. You know, and uh, I think that's a very real reality. But it's oh, it's true. Sticker. You know, and I think it creates this mentality long term for children, even children that stay, they become. They become consumers, not worshippers. Consumers of a product geared specifically towards them, rather than worshippers, which I think is a huge fundamental difference. Yeah, and I've I've seen it. I don't want to go to this mom and dad because it's not fun, and and most of us don't say, "Please give me something <laughs> boring." And I mean, you know, children who lack emotional maturity and think, "Oh, this would be good for me," you know. Don't really expect no. them to make those kinds of decisions. Now, Ben, so. we have talked, uh, and perhaps some might interpret us in very extremes, but is there any middle ground between being in service from birth and having youth church or even college church? I've heard of a church that has college church where the college students don't even have to be in the worship service. Is there any middle ground between those extremes, or is it just kind of one or the other? I think that there is. Now, some disagree, and I've I've seen that and read that. But, I mean, I think, you know, a nursing mother. Now, some moms don't mind, but, you know, I think plenty do, and then other people around them uh, do. Now, I've heard of uh, a missionary. He was, I don't know what country he was in, somewhere. He heard the snorting sounds while he was preaching, and he thought it was, he wasn't sure what, you know, he saw women, they just would nurse the children. And then he looked, and there was a woman nursing a pig, a little <laughs> wow. baby pig, and uh, just wanted to keep that milk supply. <laughs> um, you know, so that takes it to a whole new level. But you know, kids who need a diaper change, or you know, they have little bladder control. I think those those kinds of accommodations to their physical stage. I, I'm, you know, I I think that's okay. And I think cultural expectations play in. You talked about the seeker-sensitive movement and the things that were done um, in the 80s and the 90s. And, I mean, that still plays into today. That Some of that's dried up. But I think if you have a church that's that's very entrenched in that, you can't just say, well, next Sunday we're going to do away with all that. And it, when you're dealing with people yes. who may come who they're not used to that or – they may not be believers. The way that they discipline their children, teach their children, it, it, it's not very biblical, and so they are running loose and you know things like that. I think there, there's a lot of different factors that go in, and as a way of loving them, helping them, you know, I don't think you just uh, put the the axe to the roots Absolutely. all of a sudden. Yeah, and I think in that, you know, I, I want to piggyback on what you said, not uh, not breastfeed a pig, but you know, piggyback. <laughs> uh, sometimes I think that trajectory is, and both at church and even as a parent, sometimes I think the trajectory is more important than your current situation. You know, I think sometimes it's more important that you're heading in a right direction, both with maybe cut off with a lot of types of things like that. Even even with this apparent, then specifically where you're at right now. The end that, you know, I think that there's a lot of flexibility. There is a significant power, I think, to the claim that kids who can't speak or have limited vocabulary benefit little uh, from the worship service. I've heard many have argued, even, you know, Children Desiring God is big on children in the worship service, and I think rightfully, but even they would they would rarely just encourage the atmosphere where they don't have any other option. You know, and I think that there are some that, some go even further, some go a lot further, but I've even had 
had heard some make a, a reasonable argument, maybe, that chil if children aren't, aren't at a level where they can read with some level of efficiency, so, you know, early elementary or so, that uh, they can't follow as well as children who are older that can, and, and adults, you know. And I, I think in that, perhaps having some kind of flexibility on, on those kind of ages, but, you know, for me, beyond that, I think does become a consumer versus worship experience mentality. Churches, I think, in these cases, though, even if a church were to say, you know, we, we think that kids who can't read can benefit very little from the worship worship service, and therefore we're going to create an alternative for them. I think that they do well to allow some parental discernment in regards to younger children. You know, perhaps uh, you're going to have a congregation that has some really robust and great nursery programs, but a parent decides, you know, they would rather personally have their own their infant in the worship service with them. I think a church does well to allow that parent to have that kind of discretion and allow the parent to do that and never discourage mm. a parent ever from bringing their child into a worship service definitely yeah if someone is they're made that decision and they're trying to disciple their child you know should not pressure them to to participate in the, the children's program how can churches use the sunday service children's programs when they do exist as a bridge to train worshipers rather than just you know an end unto itself well, I think don't make it spiritual yes. cotton candy. And I mean, there's a lot of it out there for children and adults and, uh, you know, those in between. But I think you try to cultivate a sense of awe about God. And I think you can do that on a children's level. And I mean, children, you know, they're still learning so much. And so they are in awe of a lot of things. And so it's not, I don't think that hard to carry that in. I mean, hopefully your own heart is in awe of God. Uh, and then let the children see that, and you know they respond well to enthusiasm, and so give them meat from the word, uh, you know meat that's explainable. You may have to cut it up into little pieces, but you're you're still giving them substance. And so I mean I know we talked on a previous episode about you know for adults it may be good to do a ten or twenty week series on Galatians, but Absolutely. I mean, with children, that's just going to be hard, yes. but you can still teach Galatians to them. And so I think you're just bringing the word, making it central in what you're teaching, and then the, the music, if you do that, I mean, memorization or games and, and activities that are just drawing their attention back to the yeah, word and back good. to Christ. I think a great example of a church that does this, and, and we don't do it this specific way, not to say that the church shouldn't, but there, I know of a church uh, where the kids' lessons for their, you know, for whatever they have there as an alternative for the worship service are actually based upon the message of the sermon. So, you know, and in that, they kind of make a connecting mm -hmm. point. You know, it's not just what's fun, but really they kind of integrate what the adults are even learning. And I think that can be great. But, you know, I think a real point in this is to, as even when you do have these alternatives, don't just give a consumer experience. I intentionally stretch kids and because and with the desire of getting them into the worship service, you know, I think we talk a lot about in our generation, We, as you mentioned with this entertainment culture, we, we don't want our kids to be bored for even a second. And even with our children's programs, you know, we can have this mentality of 30 seconds here, 30 seconds there, 30 seconds there. I don't think that's good for them. I don't think it's developing them into worshipers. So sometimes even stretch them, give them biblical truth, 
biblical truth that they're not aware of and legitimately teach in the Bible. But in addition to that, I think and, and that I think it can be even helpful to emphasize other elements, you know, worship into musical worship into those kind of things. But even sometimes I think there's a benefit. Our church, you know, four times a year we take a break from all those children's programs. We do uh, at four pivotal times, you know, and with that we know that some of those kids are going to have a harder time. So those specific Sundays, but I think we think it's, it's going to help them to experience it slowly and at a uh, slower pace and so that they can get kind of more adjusted and more used to the worship service rather than just kind of thrown into it. When we do get the kids in the worship service, I think we have to face some, some real questions. And there are some major areas that people have suggested as criticisms of children in the worship service. And the first biggest one, I think, is are children a distraction in the worship service? <laughs> well, you have three kids. I have three <laughs> kids. and They can <laughs> be. Yes, they can be. <laughs> they sure can. I don't think that... I mean, you can simply view children in general as a distraction and inconvenience because they do make you restructure your life and just their presence. But it, it does provide an opportunity for parents and others in the church to love the children, to show patience, to teach. And because, yeah, I mean, they, they are going to do things. Some of it is, is sinful. Some of it is just childishness and immaturity. But we have to view it in a bigger lens than just this person is you know, bothering yeah, me right now. Absolutely. You know, I, I think what's interesting to me is Jason Holopoulos, who's at one of the pastors at University Reformed Church in East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, he wrote a book, Let the Children Worship, really excellent book. And he talks about, you know, this mentality we do have where they're a distraction. At one point, he kind of gives an illustration of how, how silly he thinks it can be, that mentality. You know, you'll have the dad who will watch a football game after the worship service on the TV while his while his wife is in the background making dinner and his kids are working on homework that uh, perhaps listening to a video clip and that dad will be able to pay attention to every moment of that football game and rem- remember it diligently <coughs> but that same man two hours before at the worship service that uh, that would complain about being distracted by a baby that coos a hundred yards from him <laughs> It's a good point. Yeah, and I think in that, I think it's that father in that case, and really all of us need to reorient our expectations of that, like you said. But it's really usually not going to be that bad. I think most parents have discernment and are good at uh, being careful of that. Yeah, I think if parents lack discretion in this, they absolutely will be a major distraction. You know, I think if a parent has a mentality that if their child is throwing a fit, you know, we're just going to let it go and let it be what it's going to be, they're going to be a major distraction, and you shouldn't do that. But I think sometimes, ultimately, churches that are focused on that might be valuing sometimes appearance over godliness. And now, is the worship service actually age-appropriate for children, Ben? Well, yes and no. I mean, there are certainly going to be things that are over their heads. But... it can help people who are planning the service and leading to think about those people who are less sophisticated. So whether it's children or uh, I mean I, I'm trying to remember if it's like a ballad or there's some something I've heard where it was talking about you know this it needs to be understandable to yeah. the least sophisticated. I think it was a voter, and so 
you know, you have people that are part of your church who are different levels of education and understanding, and whether they're a Christian or they're they're not, and just thinking through those things to make things, you know, and all of us get in whatever group we're in, we start using language that is is uh, particular to that group. And it just, um, to outsiders, it doesn't make sense. I mean, I watched a video of a comedian, a Christian comedian, who used these Christianese kind of terms and with his friends who were not Christians by any stretch and uh, threw it out there. And it was funny hearing them trying to figure out what mm-hmm. this could be referring to. And so it turns uh-huh. out the love <laughs> offering or things like that. <laughs> so I think that's... That's something that, that, that factors in there, but you know, the, you just can't get around it. There are going to be things that are over their head, but there are also that when they see people praying, hopefully they see mom yeah. and dad praying at home with them, and uh, the singing, um, and the fact that okay, the pastor's up there with a Bible and he's talking about it, and I keep hearing him, you know, so they're not going to get every bit of it, but um, every adult in the room is also not going to get yeah, every bit absolutely. of it. Absolutely, I think you know, and with this question. It can be so easy with these kind of things to essentially have the mentality that there's more power in, in the wisdom of developmental psychologists than there is in the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, we know that's not true. And you know, and yes, I think in many ways it's not by developmental psychologists' standards, it's not age appropriate. But nonetheless, the Holy Spirit can work. Is it's something that God calls us to do to preach the word, preach the word intergenerationally, and the Holy Spirit works through that. You know, and but I still think it's necessary. Nonetheless, ch- churches, and especially parents, have to seek ways that they can help children. And we'll talk about that at the end. But won't kids be bored? Nonetheless, Ben. Yeah. yeah, probably. They will. You know, but I was bored as a child, as a teenager, as an adult. You know, it's not the worst thing imaginable. And you made a comment about this earlier, but just with the seeker kind of mentality. Just stimulating kids and getting them, you know, all rah-rah about something, that's not necessarily going to make them see that no. Jesus is great and keep them in the church as they get older. There's other things that will stimulate them, and they'll get you know all rah rah about um, that are sinful, and you know they can go and not to say that every concert is sinful, but I mean let's face it, some of the concerts out there, the things that happen are not good. So whether it's a concert or it's going to you know a strip club, I mean there are things out there that will that will be stimulating and captivating to them if they don't really have yeah. a love for the Lord, and so just throwing some glitter or something is not. Uh, necessarily got the the sticking power. I agree. We will be bored. I mean, I get bored during sermons sometimes, and it's not not the fault of the preacher. It's the fault of my own sinful heart that I need to remember the profoundness of these truths. But the reality is avoiding boredom is objectively not good for anyone. And, And I think we're doing damage to our children, period. If we have this mentality that ever experiencing boredom is bad for you, How can parents, though, if they have their children in the worship service, help their children understand and pay attention during the worship service? I think you can really get creative here. I think try to get your kids, if they're able to, to write about it, to take notes about it. We had some good friends at our church in Louisville who 
when their kids were, I think, about eight or so, they had them start drawing a picture about something in the sermon. And we had a guest come, and pre- he opened up, and he was telling the story about how he had been in a hotel, and something happened with carbon monoxide. And anyway, he and the man he was sharing a room with, they were they were trying to get everyone out because of the uh-huh. you know danger posed by this, but it made them pass out. And they were, it was in the middle of the night, they were trying to get their pants uh-uh. on. And they both just collapsed into the bed. And anyway, as as he's telling this story very well, um, these friends of ours were sitting behind us, and I thought, I know what that picture is going to be about today. <laughs> and sure enough, and one of the, it was twins, and the uh, the daughter brought to the guy after the service. She goes, "Here, I drew this." Wow. Preaching. <laughs> but uh, you know, talking about it later, or I, I think too. I mean, people like illustrations that shouldn't be the, the only thing that you're giving them when you preach but take some illustration and I think you know it helps yeah. jog their memory I think just even practicing at home like okay we're going to sit here for a few minutes and do this or that kind of thing but I, I think parents can get pretty creative in that uh, but just talking That's about good. it later yeah I think in addition to talking about later too you know there's an importance even talking beforehand you know I know some parents that will read the passage that's going to be in the sermon the morning before or perhaps in family worship the day before uh, but sometime intentionally to talk about it and prepare their children's hearts for it but even I think sometimes in addition to before and after I think if you can do so quietly and respectfully those around you, I think engaging even during the message sometimes with your child, you know, and whispering between mm-hmm. each other about what the message means, about what point to draw your child's attention to a point in the message, and again, a respectful way. How can churches then help children adjust to the whole worship service? One thing that you turned me on to um, but giving them a, a kid's bulletin, and I know other churches that do that, whether you, there's services out there where you make something in-house, where there's fill-in-the-blank or puzzles, but give them something to help that is drawing their attention to the scripture that you're going to be focused on, but also that, you know, that gives them some things to sort of occupy them. And so people, God wired people differently. Um, and so, I mean, I know my wife pays attention better when her hands are busy. And so in college, sometimes, I mean, she would have, like, I don't know, knitting. I don't know all the different terms, but some sort of hand thing that she was working on there, and it helped her to focus. Um, And so, so, you know, so I hear the more senses that you can engage, the better often memory is to whatever you were exposed to. I think, too, just addressing kids regularly in the applications praying for them and just letting them know we know that you're here you're welcome and you know we there's expectations of you as well um you're just not you're not just consumers yeah and you know i think that it is so important again what you said not to endure ignore the little congregants in your congregation and i was encouraged i've been reading parenting in the pew an old uh, classic on children and worship and and they really highlight the importance of illustrations for the sake of kids and i think that is again as you've echoed already one of the really important parts and provide helps but i think even most important in this churches need to equip and cast vision for parents you know that they can't expect that a lot of parents that their shepherd leading sheep you know we 
we can't expect that parents always to be uh, to be aware of every way that they can help and encourage their children in this, but we can be seeking ways that we can equip them, whether it be through training, whether it even be through the message, talking about things in a practical and helpful way. But I think churches have such an important role of equipping and training for that. Well, thank you so much for joining us for the Theological Family Ministry Podcast as we've talked about the topic of children in the worship service, which can be quite an interesting experience and can be a headache sometimes, but sometimes headaches can be for a good thing. And I want to encourage you, if this perhaps is your first time listening, you can access, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, which is the new edition. Now we're on Stitcher, as well as on iTunes. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please like it on, on social media, share it on social media, and review it on Stitcher, iTunes, or SoundCloud. Thank you again, and God bless.